Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Good morning, afternoon, or wherever you are, and welcome to Tales of Mythic Adventure. I'm Mob, here in Melbourne, Australia, and Jeff. Hey, I'm Jeff Richard. I'm here in sunny Berlin, Germany, on a cold, crisp, but beautiful day. Excellent. And we have, sitting in our virtual green room, the president of Chaosium, Rick Mines. And the virtual green room this week is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. How are things over there, Rick? Oh, it's wonderful here, guys. And I just wanted to say, welcome to another tale of mythic adventure. Hooah! Oh, we, 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 we have missed that. And we, we, we definitely need you to record some more, uh, Stings at the end as well, because uh, we, we've had to have poor Rob, the producer, make them up two weeks in a row now, and I think it may even be three. So, Rick, we are excited to have you uh, as a guest today because we're going to be talking about some of the very special items that are uh, up for people's interest and pleasure in the RuneQuest Classic Kickstarter. So just before that, we're at uh, day 11, I believe. And where are we? What's a, what's a status report of the Kickstarter? Is it only oh. day 11? It's a little bit shorter than many 30-day Kickstarters. Oh, sorry. It's day 11 as in 11 days to go, ah. really. it's I think it's it's day 13 of the Kickstarter. Yes. And so we've, uh, we've passed $113,000. And even better, we have over 1,350 backers which makes it uh, more backers than the Guide to Glorantha, or 13th Age. And mm-hmm. so it's wonderful to see, on average, over 40 people a day still joining the Kickstarter, even while we're here on kind of the plateau. Well, there's a lot of keen people out there who uh, want to have some old-time gamey action with uh, with RuneQuest 2, the classic edition. And as part of the Kickstarter... There are some very special items that people can get at various backer levels. And we thought it'd be a great idea in this episode for you, Rick, to just, uh, talk us through what we have. Probably the, the most exciting, uh, one to me is the RuneQuest 1 playtest manuscript. And, uh, you put a fantastic picture of that up there on the, uh, the Kickstarter page. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about that. I am holding up to the microphone a three-inch binder from the 1970s full of slightly browned but very well-kept pages of, as far as we know, the only RuneQuest playtest materials that were used uh, from the 77, 78, up to the publication of RuneQuest 1. Wow, which was in 1978, right? Yes, uh, they started working on the RuneQuest rules, which weren't even called RuneQuest at that time. It was just the the new Glaranthan game uh, on the July 4th weekend of 1976. And that's when Steve Parent and Greg Stafford kicked things off. They worked with the Turney brothers. They worked with uh, Warren James, Steve Henderson. And uh, a few months after that, one of the people in the California gaming group they were with in the Bay Area included Sven Luger. And Sven Luger, being a rather organized military man, he was in the Navy, he uh, kept all of these things in a binder. He uh, definitely looked after all of this material quite well, 
in some ways it only looks, you know, uh, a few years old, other than the fact that it's definitely all dated with different pages from the 70s. It's all organized with tabs in the binder, and there's just all kinds of wonderful things that made it into the game and also didn't make it into the game. Hmm. And uh, it has annotated notes in different spots, I believe, as well. Oh, yes. These are all typewritten pages, but with a lot of handwritten notes, extra material put in. Sven even was a, a bit of an artist, and so he, you know, came up with a lot of the concept drawings for how the hit point locations were going to look, a lot oh, of the early wow. characters, there's even some sketches of characters in here. Uh, it, it's it's amazing. And so it's Sven that has uh, has kept this safe all of these these years. You are an uber collector, uh, Rick, you're known as Mr. Suitcase. I have How long have you actually, <laughs> you have, or Monsieur Valets, as you are known on the continent. Um, how long has it been that you've known that this, uh, this item actually existed? We only found out about it relatively recently. Uh, it's one of these things where, for some reason, it just wasn't really talked about. And it was only in the last uh, little over a year or so that we learned about his existence. And we were able to get in contact with Sven Luger, uh, you know, mm-hmm. through through the network of Gloranthan fans that are out there, and started asking him about it. And he was happy to meet with us. Luckily, he's not far from the Seattle area, where Neil is based, kind of a Chaosium far west, as I refer to it, as opposed to I'm kind mm-hmm. of Chaosium midwest. And and I'm Chaosium it. down under. <laughs> and I guess I'm Chaosium what? Festung Europa. <laughs> yes, that sounds. Hey, hey, a really cool. random question, Rick. Not, not to interrupt, but even before you go down this path, is this the playtest document for RuneQuest Two, or is this the very original playtest document? This is, uh, you could call it RuneQuest Zero. Oh wow! You know, this, wow. Is, this is all prior to RuneQuest One publication. You know, they went into a very different error-trapping playtest mode after RuneQuest 1 was released. Then it was more just taking the current manuscript and, you know, was printed uh, for Origins in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I still love the fact that they launched RuneQuest 1 right in my hometown, or my new hometown, I should say, and right here on the University of Michigan campus back in June of 78. And so this is all pre-June 78. Mm-hmm. Wow. Most of, the, most of the pages are from the 77 era. Man, well. I was 10 years old when it yeah. <coughs> came out. Yep. You know, uh, you said that the manuscript has things that obviously eventually made it into the game. There are things that didn't make it into the game as well. Oh, yes. You know, we've been, I've been going through this and had a very entertaining read about how cults have changed especially how magic has changed, uh, paying extra attention to things that have been crossed out in here, uh, whole pages that have had things pasted on top of them to replace the original text. It, it's, it's the kind of manuscript you, of course, want to treat with tremendous care, just because this is the only one that's out there. I've never seen of this. I'd never even heard of this up until wow. we found out that Sven had a copy. Usually when we, like, to go back to a convention that uh, you were at yourself, Mob, as, as were some of the other guys, uh, 
you know, the San Francisco convention in 95 mm-hmm. when we had mm-hmm. the, you know, the second RuneQuest con, we had yep. the, we had, you know, Ray Turney, Greg, uh, uh, Sven himself, uh, a number of the other. Ken Kalfa. Oh, so many of the early authors and play testers there. They, they had the whole panel full of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't remember word for word what they said, and I, I hope we can find a recording of that seminar somewhere because I know that some of the attendees were recording it. But they all said they didn't have any of that early stuff anymore, other than, I guess, you know, Sven didn't mention what he did or didn't have, but most of them said, oh, I don't, I don't have that stuff anymore. You know, Steve Perrin included who was there. But, you know, wow. Steve Perrin has said that, oh, yeah, Sven was a real record keeper. And that Sven, when he got involved from then on forward, he was always, you know, taking notes, jotting down ideas, giving a lot of feedback, very active play tester. So I, I understand that uh, Steve Perrin is writing a uh, an introduction for this for this book. Well, he and Greg are both writing uh, stories and Wonderful. a little bit of the history of how this all developed, starting from when they first met, how they decided to come up with a game to, you know, that did all the things they wanted it, that D and D never did, and how they wanted to fix a lot of things, you know, because Steve before he got involved in RuneQuest, had written a thing called the Perrin Conventions, which were his mm-hmm. kind of fixes and additions to Dungeons & Dragons. And that's what kind of kicked off him gaming with Greg. He was in the San Francisco area at that time as well. You know, the, the Bay Area was just such an amazing collection of role players. It's just amazing how many of them came out of the Bay Area. and mm-hmm. how. And then so Greg is writing his history of this, you know, putting together his notes, coming up with lots of stories. Uh, Steve is putting in a lot of his early involvement with the SCA, which, uh, you know, Sven Luger is still active in the SCA. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he still goes to regular sword competitions and all that, and how, of course, their SCA combat experience uh, greatly influenced how they wrote up early RuneQuest materials, oh, especially the combat mechanics. And you can definitely see that in every iteration of, of RuneQuest, the, the interaction of between the rules in the Society for Creative Anachronism. I mean, you're mm, really, well, it's, really... It's very upfront there, isn't it? They, they say that in the, the manuscript. Oh, yeah. And I think that's just, a big part of the difference between uh, early RuneQuest and early D&D, whereas uh, early D&D came out of uh, uh, tactical wargaming. Uh, hmm. RuneQuest came out of the Society for Creative Anachronism and combat re- yeah, actual, actual people holding swords, whacking each other. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's got a tremendous SCA tie-in. You know, Steve Perrin and his wife, Louise Perrin, recognize her art being on the cover and internal pages of RuneQuest. You know, they were one of the first kings and queens of the SCA. Hmm. Yeah, I think I've, I remember seeing a uh, wedding photograph that Steve had put up, I think, maybe on his Facebook page. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. They were looking very regal at their wedding. Yeah. So, uh, Rick, when, when this is uh, going to be produced for people to, uh, to get in the Kickstarter... It's not going to be presented as a as a ring binder. How are you going to present it so that people can really uh, understand it and read it carefully and get to see all the notes and everything else? Well, we're we're doing a very high quality scan of it because you know we, mm-hmm. obviously we could have retyped it in, but that just loses so much of the magic of the handwritten notes, things that are crossed out. 
you know, the pages that have stuff pasted on top of them, all those type of things. But, you know, we're doing a very high quality scan that I'm cleaning up. And then we're going to bind this into a hardcover book with really nice paper. And it's going to be a thick volume uh, for the Kickstarter backers that, you know, back at the, the generous backer levels. Fantastic. So um, before we get on to the uh, the top backer level uh, unpublished materials, I just want to quickly bring up uh, a, a stretch goal that you uh, you added in the other day, which was the uh, Greg Stafford scenario, the Sea Cave. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, a, a number of years ago. I, I, I don't remember exactly when. You know, one of the times I was meeting with Greg, he's like, hey, Rick, you're going to get a kick out of this. And he, he gave me just a, you know, a half-inch worth of materials. And one of the things in that half-inch stack of materials included a folder that is called The Sea Cave, a RuneQuest scenario written by Greg Stafford back in the 70s. And I set it aside, wanting to get it scanned in and all that. And it's one of those things where I, I never got back to it. But when I was going through all the materials we wanted to put together for this Kickstarter, and we were talking about, you know, what, can, what what interesting things have been sitting on the shelf far too long, I managed to grab this folder and sort of going through it, scanning it in. And it's just a seacoast scenario that was written by Greg, but play-tested by Steve Perrin and Sven Luger and a few others. And it's got, you know, handwritten character sheets, it's got wonderful maps, you know, because Greg is a big cartography guy. I mean, I'm sure Jeff could uh, wax uh, poetic and lyrical about all the wonderful maps that Greg's done over the years. Oh, yeah, they absolutely. A, they have a very distinct flavor to them, don't they? Mm-hmm. And so it's just a it's, – it's, I'll be up front. It's not 100% finished, but it's got most of the details to certainly run an adventure because they play-tested it several times. It's got all kinds of wonderful beasties and bad guys. It's, uh, you know, exploring caves. It's a little bit like uh, Snake Pipe Hollow, but it's also got some things that, uh, you know, I, it's just a great small adventure that I, I'd love to talk about it more, but I really don't want to give the plot away, so to speak, for people who want to, <laughs> you know, that want actually want to play it. Sure. So let's go on to the uh, the... I guess the big kahunas here, which are the uh, items that are going to be offered at the High Priest and uh, Rune Priest Lord level. And they are the two-volume unpublished scenarios and source material set. And Jeff, I understand you have also had a hand in gathering together what is going to be going into this uh, amazing collection. Yeah, this is a bit of a dipping into my treasure chest, into the vault here in Festoon, Berlin. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the unpublished books, Rick, do you mind if I give Absolutely. The, the big parts of the, uh, there's basically four components to the uh, unpublished material that we're putting together. The first one, is uh, the Garantha Encyclopedia, which I believe dates to, uh, I don't have, well, wait, I have a copy of it right here. I believe it dates... Oh, hold it up to the microphone. I'm holding it up. I, I have the master copy of the Garantha Encyclopedia, which dates back to uh, 1980. 
And the Glorantha Encyclopedia was actually a source, uh, a major source for what became the Guide to Glorantha. Uh, and so it contains information on the Lunar Empire. Well, actually, the, on the uh, history of Glorantha, big picture um, about Glorantha and its mythology, about the Lunar Empire, um, about uh, the, let's see, Dragon Pass, the Grayslanders, the Kingdom of Tarsh, the Kingdom of Sartar. Um, and a lot of this, if you, you, when you read through this, first off, a tremendous amount of it made its way, um, ultimately in a, a one form or another into the guide. But what's really interesting looking at this is, uh, from a collector's point of view is how early, um, this material was put together. A lot of people think that we did a, a tremendous amount of of changing, of quote-unquote gregging of Glorantha with a guide. And the irony was is that uh, in a lot of cases I was working off off notes that were, you know, from 1980 or even from before. And then there's great little bits of um, Greg's handwritten notes about things that never, ideas and concepts that didn't make their way into the guide. Uh, and, and in some areas it just goes into far more detail uh, in the mm-hmm. encyclopedia than what's in the guide. Uh, but if you read through this, you can actually see that by 1980, much of what is in the presentation of Glorantha that we've been doing for the last few years was already put together. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just an amazing, there's, and there's lots of wonderful little snippets in there, uh, like, um, um, more information on the elder race and their troop types, a uh, write-up of the Telmori, a write-up of the Cult of Wilms, Greg's original map of Johnstown, um, etc. And then it gets into some really interesting stuff. Uh, particularly those of you guys that are, um, that, that are really interested in the Further development of RuneQuest, including what will be the new Chiasium RuneQuest, is, is Greg did a tremendous amount of work on RQ2 that never made it into publication for one reason or another. For instance, there is a chapter describing Sartar's social structure in RQ2 terms with copious, and I mean copious notes, on their economics the history of their social classes, and much, much more. And a lot of, um, actually I'll go on to the next one here, uh, a draft of unit battle rules for RuneQuest 2, firmly uh, grounded in Glorantha and in the Dragon Pass War game. A chapter describing temples, spirits, and priesthoods for RQ2, um, introducing the new priesthood of basic priest, which then became God Talker or Godi and later called Acolytes in RQ3, as well as loads of, of really interesting material um, that Greg had been playing around with, with uh, RQ2 that didn't make it into RQ3 because the decision was made that RQ3 would be generic as opposed to Glorantha specific, but um, turned out to be incredibly influential on a, what in many ways was the successor game for RQ2. 
And what was that, mm, Rick? I think uh, I think a lot of people will be making the logic logical connection here. Yes, between mm-hmm. what it, what a lot of what uh, what is in this is actually what ended up becoming Pendragon, and that Pendragon basically stems right out of RQ two, um, or at least a lot of the core concepts, especially when you get to the final chapter of the um, uh, of this, which what is the Dragon Pass campaign, where... Oh, now that sounds very... Oh, yeah, and it's from 19, about 1980, 1981, and this contained... The idea was to take RQ2 and firmly establish the characters within their community, their clan, their tribe. And... um. One thing that was clarified in this is Greg never, Greg intended that adventures be something that takes place within the context of a season. So your character is doing their occupational stuff, you know, whatever they do to support their family and whatnot most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then they have an extraordinary, um, you know, there's something extraordinary going on that season. That's the adventure that you play out. Uh, but, you also have the background material and uh, going on. So, you know, you get your skill checks also for your occupational activities. And the whole thing, you look at this and you realize that it's the winter phase, the, the, the zero draft of the winter phase for Pendragon. Anyways, mm-hmm. really, really remarkable stuff in there. And that's just two of the four, vol- uh, the, the four sections. So the next being Arcane Lords which dates back from 1981, and it's Greg's first attempt to make a Malkioni source book for RuneQuest. And it was something I was looking at um, an awful lot when I was writing the guide. It is wildly different than um, uh, anything between um, RQ2 and in what we ended up doing about the guide with regards to the Malkione. And mm-hmm. uh, from a rules development perspective, it, it also contained a lot of the seeds of both Pendragon and RQ3, and basically is a bridge document between those rule systems. The only big letdown of it is, is, Greg, there's lots of tantalizing hints as to Zabori magic, but Greg failed to develop rules for it. And that's basically why Arcane Lords never got published, is it had all the social context but didn't work out the magic system. Well, the curse of trying to come up with a good sorcery rules for RuneQuest strikes again, huh? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then the last of these is what I considered the holy grail of unpublished... Oh, um, the holy grail? The holy grail of unpublished Goranthan documents, and that is Greg's unpublished epic system. Oh, yes. And this was back from about 1990... 1990 to 1992, and this is Greg's heroic effort to create a Gloranthan successor to RQ3, and it's about a hundred-odd page document that contains just amazing, amazingly ambitious efforts to create rules for interacting with the self, society, and the cosmos, and it fully merges RuneQuest back with Pendragon's traits and pan- uh, passions, which got where it was, of course, Kinted in other documents, including um, Griffin Mountain, but it mm-hmm. dramatically changed Divine Magic. 
um, which was actually that that and sorcery were the two problematic parts of RQ two and three for modeling Glorantha. And although most of the character sheets are uh, Sardrite, you have Greg included examples of lunar, dare happen, and even Tanosaurian characters. And it, this also introduced the rules for creating your clan using a hybrid of RQ and Pendragon, which ultimately became the basis for uh, clan creation in David Dunham's computer game, King of Dragon Pass. In fact, the epic campaign essentially is the tabletop draft of King of Dragon Pass. It's also interconnected. Yes, and then also it, mm-hmm. it, it was a huge influence on HeroQuest 2, and I don't think it's giving any hints away. It's been, cast a big influence on what will be the new uh, uh, RuneQuest by Chaosium. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, if it is, and I, I, I remember seeing this draft, it has a fascinating character sheet, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I mean just, Really amazing, amazing material. And because there were some mechanical problems that Greg just couldn't manage to, to, to solve in this, it, it ultimately never got published. But mm-hmm. it's, it's just one of these holy grails of, of, um, amazing design notes that really have never seen, um, the, the light of day outside of a handful of us. I mean, David and I, uh, had seen it when we were doing the Pendragon Pass campaign upon, which actually the campaign was based on. And then David used it for King of Dragon Pass. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's got this awesome stuff. Um, this multi-generational epic campaign that goes from 1300 to 1545, which basically is King of Dragon Pass and just amazing stuff. I love the way that that is encapsulated on the character sheet as well. It's a character sheet unlike any other I've ever seen. Oh yeah, and 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 I've got to admit, it casts a long, long shadow on on everything that I've done, uh, Glorantha. And I know it casts it cast a huge shadow on everything that David Dunham has done. And the irony is that virtually nobody has seen it. And now well, they get a chance now in the Kickstarter. Yeah, absolutely. If you go for the top level, you get a chance to see these the uh, the the secrets that have been um, animating a lot of designers um, on, on the Moon Design side and and David Dunham, uh, and probably will give a, a much better idea of things that we're wrestling with for the new request. So it, it's a bridge between the past and the future. Very exciting. Rick, do you have anything else to add about these wonderful treasures? I'm still uh, taking in everything Jeff said. <laughs> it's just so cool what we've gotten uh, for the archive or from so, the archive. So how are, drag, these, but... how are these going to be presented? Well, I, in much the same way as I described the RuneQuest uh, playtest manuscript materials, these are going to be hardcover volumes. We're going to find some great old school art for the covers, uh, probably color covers on these. All depends on, you know, what, what the team decides is the best, most evocative covers for them. And they're going to be, as I said, uh, you know, hardcover bound books, uh, in a series. And from the shape of the way things are looking, 
we're probably going to be having three volumes of this material. It won't oh, be just wow. two volumes. I, you know, it, we don't want to have super, super, super thick books, but you know, at, at about 250 pages each, we're definitely pushing the third book boundaries pretty quickly here. Because, well, you heard it here first on Tales of Mythic Adventure. Because yeah, I know I, as we've been going through and distilling everything we've got down, I, I found a short article by Ray Turney from December of 1979. I'll just read you the title here. RQ's Super Magical Abilities, Possibly Suitable for Hero Quest. Ooh, and this is going in there as well. Yeah, along with a very, very early draft written up in Cults of Prax style for the Cult of Arcat. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the just to expand upon the, you know, the scenarios side of what uh, Jeff was talking about, you know, Greg's Dragon Pass campaign, I happen to have in my hand about an inch and a half thick binder which has a number of encounters and scenarios. And we already mentioned the Howling Tower, which is in the Upland Marsh, which is part of this material. But there's also another alchemist's tower uh, by the name of Miskander in Sartar. And so there's the expedition to Miskander's Tower with a lot of notes and character sheets and such for that. And then there's also an Aldriami set of encounters, a set of Dragon Dude encounters with character sheets, and so a lot of this is scenario material. So it's not just reading. This can also involve a fair bit of playing. Awesome. Wow. So uh, we've got to wind up in a, in a minute or two, Rick. So uh, the Kickstarter has 11 days to go, and we're just about to trip over the next stretch goal, which I believe is Cults of Terror. Is that yes, right? Yes, it is. We're only about $1,000 away from reaching for Cults of Terror. And so looking forward to breaking that stretch goal and getting that material, you know, the original Cults of Terror. Uh, you know, this one, we pulled out all stops where I was able to get from Janelle Jakeways herself the original painting scanned in super high resolution, the whole thing. Whoa. So there's no, you know, you've seen lots of scans of how it looks with the words on it and all that. This is the whole big canvas front and back cover all scanned in at a high enough resolution to be a really nice cover. So, Oh, that's great, because, you know, my original copy of uh, Cults of Terror is looking a bit battered these days, I have to say. I, I don't get those details anymore looking at the cover. And so, yeah, we'll probably even make that available as some type of little wallpaper or something to get out to. Oh, ooh-ah. Nice. Ooh-ah. Yep. And then right after that, okay. the stretch goal with Scorpion Hall, Solo Quest, King's Bride... All in one big nifty volume together. Oh yeah, that's that's a great one. That you you actually just uh, squeezed in that stretch goal uh, just the other day. Yeah, it never fails that if you don't have uh, some of the published RuneQuest materials in the Kickstarter for RuneQuest Two era, people are like, how come this isn't on the list? And mm -hmm. I looked at it again, talked about it with you guys, and we said, well, why can't it be? And so it is. And so it was made. There it so. is. That's right. Okay, well, we have to wind up the episode now. That was a fascinating discussion, and I, I, I have to thank you, Rick, as our guest, and I actually have to thank you, Jeff, as uh, the co-host, but actually also you were very good in the chair as the guest talking about these wonderful items. Well, this is the great thing about being in the vault, is, is that um, uh, I've got 
copies of so much weird and ancient unpublished material, and it's nice to be able to talk about it. So I'm bubbling with excitement. (laughs) Okay, well, this was Tales of Mythic Adventure for this week. I'm I'm Mob, and I'm I'm signing off. Oh, yes, Rick? I, I just want, when you guys are ready to sign off, I just want to say, and this concludes another tale of mythic adventure. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll sign off quick. You sign off, Mob, and let's let Rick go with it. This was me. Goodbye. This is Jeff. See you later. This is Rick. Thanks for having me as, as a guest. And that concludes another tale of mythic adventure. Brought to you from around the globe. Or the lozenge given Glorantha is flat. Oh, the sun never sets on us. 